Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film, and this year's podcast media partner for the Dead Center 2022 Film Festival. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are taking a look at this year's opening night film, Mama Bears. That's right. We're going to be sitting down with the film's director and producer, Darisha Kai, to learn more about the moving story that inspired the film before going further into what makes this film a can't-miss documentary at this year's festival. And then we'll close out the conversation by talking a little bit more about what you can do to watch the movie at this year's film festival and even beyond the festival. What exactly is Mama Bears about? Well, according to the shortened description from the Dead Center website, Mama Bears is an exploration of the journeys taken by Sarah Cunningham and Kimberly Shapley, two Mama Bears, conservative Christian mothers whose profound love for their LGBTQ plus children has turned them into fierce advocates for the entire queer community and Tammy Terrell Morris, a young African-American lesbian whose struggle for self-acceptance perfectly exemplifies why the Mama Bears are so vitally important. And for today's interview with Darisha, I really didn't feel like it would be fitting without a very special guest co-host, one that uh, longtime listeners will be very familiar with. I'm so excited to welcome this year's Dead Center Film Festival Pride programmer and my friend, Laron Chapman, to the show. Laron, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Laron, just really quickly, I want to get your take here. I mean, you're spearheading this year's Pride programming at Dead Center. I know listeners are going to know you as sort of like my regular co-host, you know, talking and reviewing movies. But uh, this sort of has you in a different role. So I'd love to hear a bit more about your take on Mama Bears. What does it mean to you that the the festival is opening with a movie about the the very real challenges that LGBTQ plus communities have faced, especially within conservative homes? Um, it's very exciting. Um, I'm very excited to be the Pride programmer for now the second year, but officially this year. Last year was kind of more of a trial effort, and this year is a um, it's an official title um, where they basically created a space for me to curate um, films and content and characters and stories that uh, centered around the LGBT community, um, and basically shining a light on stories that aren't seen very often and putting them in the mainstream um, Dead Center Film Festival without relegating it to one particular spot, but making it actually part of the the larger conversation. And so I'm just very happy that they um, have created a platform for me to be able to showcase films like Mama Bears, which is is, very exciting. I've seen it twice. I've cried twice. Uh, I saw it once as a screener. And the second time um, at the premiere at South By, um, I think I cried more at South By because there was an audience around me and the resistance to not cry around people just became stronger. So, um, but I'm very excited for people to see it. I think it's a very vital and important story. Laron, again, it's a real pleasure to have you on Talking Dead Center uh, for the first time this year. Now, of course, uh, we have to, to welcome in the, the, the real guest of honor today, Darisha Kai, the director and producer of Mama Bears. Darisha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, before we get into today's conversation, I did just want to quickly note that if you're listening to the show and you enjoy the conversation, support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating review on your preferred podcast app. And actually, this is uh, not only going to help the show get discovered by more listeners like you, but if you are really pumped and excited about all of the the different movies that are playing at Dead Center this year, it's going to be the best way for you to get all of the exclusive conversations and interviews with filmmakers uh, sent directly to your phone and your podcast app. But let's go ahead and, and talk a little bit more about Mama Bears. Uh, so, Darisha, I, I want to just kick things off by by asking you, I mean, at, at what point in your relationship with the Mama Bear tribe, uh, as they call it in the film, were you inspired to help tell this story? 
I came to this story through an article in the Huffington Post about Kimberly and Kai Shapley. And in it, she mentioned that she was able to make the journey from being a Tea Party Republican to a mama bear uh, who won LGBTQ Activist of the Year through the support of the mama bears. And that's all it took for me to want to make a movie about them. Because um, just reading that, and she said there were 2,000 moms in these private Facebook groups who supported, who were like her, who were mostly conservative Christian moms who were helping each other deal with um, kind of finding the balance between the love in their hearts with the faith, right? And um, I heard that. I heard 2,000. I thought, that's a lot of moms. And I want to know who they are. And I want to know what that journey's like, because I know it's not easy. And I know that that right there is the hero's journey, right? You got to do some deep soul searching. You have to examine everything you ever believed and you have to be willing to change. And so I thought that that if I can find just one mom who will share her story with me, then that could be golden, right? So I didn't actually know anything about the mama bears until I read that article. Wow, that's incredible. Well, Darisha, um, I also I love the title of the film, and um, it references a very popular, affectionate term that we use for a protective mother. And while the film kind of outlines the complexity of that meaning, how would you, in your own words, describe what a mama bear is in the context of your film and your story? Well, I would say that they actually describe it the best. What Liz Dyer says, and a lot of the moms say, they call themselves mama bears because while their love is warm and fuzzy, they fight ferociously for the rights of the LGBTQ community. I don't think I can give a better description than that. Yeah. Now, one thing that that really sticks out to me, and this could just be me sort of showing my own biases coming from a a religious home growing up, I I really appreciated the way that religion is uh, portrayed in in the documentary. Um, you really presented it as both uh, a weapon that is used against the LGBTQ plus community, but also uh, a comfort within the film because the, the main characters are largely religious homes. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear a little more about, um, you know, how did you go about framing this, this sort of sensitive but really important element um, of the story of Mama Bears? Well, one thing I'll say is that as a storyteller, I don't believe in shaming people and I don't believe in blame. So I don't believe in shame and blame. I don't feel like we get to um, deeper levels of understanding that way. So I never wanted to to talk badly about religion um, because it's important and because it helps people. Um, but I did want to talk about the fact that it also hurts people. Um, I always want to tell stories that are complex, that are multi-layered, that are multi-dimensional. And so everything in the film, I'm approaching that way. I'm approaching religion Multi, in a multidimensional way, right? So there are good and bad things about it, right? And um, really what I was trying to get at is the core message that the mama bears have tapped into, which is love. That's at the core of every religion, right? That's the central message around which all these tenets and ways to live your life and things that you should and shouldn't do are supposed to be balanced around, built around love, right? And so for me, that's the guiding principle for the film. What inspires me about these moms is their unconditional love. And that's the message that I want to spread. I'm not trying to attack anybody for their beliefs. I'm just trying to um, elevate this message of love because for me, that's what it's all about. That's the point of life. I'm wondering, because I mean, while this is a very um, inspirational story, um, it also the film also feels very much like a call to action as well. 
um, because I don't I don't think people going into this are going to leave without feeling somewhat energized or somewhat motivated to either educate themselves a little bit better or to get involved in any way that they can. And I'm just wondering, like, were there any unique challenges or significant challenges that you face while shooting the story with a message that for some people will be polarizing for different groups? In terms of that, I, I, I consciously decided not to speak to people who were polarizing and in, in that they were against LGBTQ people, right? Because I feel like they get enough time on airtime. I didn't, I didn't need them in my film, you know what I mean? Like, and, and we all ha- are, have grown up, if you're an American, you've grown up in a culture that is largely homophobic, transphobic, anti-LGBTQ. Although it seems that from polls, the American people are moving more towards acceptance, right? Yeah. But um, I did not consciously decide that I was going to tackle that one way or another. I let the people who, it's all about their journeys, right? So the religion comes up through them, through their lens, right? And I, I do my best not to impose my viewpoint on it, to just let it speak for itself, right? So that as a viewer, you can make up your own mind, right? And it is definitely a call to action. From from the first moment that I conceived of the film, I knew that this film had the power to shift people's perspectives, to open their hearts and their minds, and to educate people, and to make a difference. Like that's, I think that's what a lot of us as, as storytellers are trying to do. We're trying to make a difference. We're trying to make the world better, right? So the call to action is to love better, to love more, to love deeper, to um, get beyond your biases and see another perspective and and really understand what you're saying and why you're saying it and what you believe and why you believe it. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels very much like the biggest thing that I took away from it was that the misconception that all conservative women or women, men in, in general just have this this vitriol and, and hatred towards. Now, obviously, as a collective, we've seen that in our society in different ways. But what it actually says is that there is a space for you to think differently, to, to see this differently, to have a different perspective. And I think that's a, a huge, a huge takeaway for me, not as a conservative, but just as a human being, you know, to also to learn that to not just write that off so easily, you know, so. Right. Well, I learned a lot about myself in the process of making this film. You know, like there are a couple of key moments and key things that people said to me that were transformative on my own journey, you know, because I thought of religious conservatives as diametrically opposed because I'm very progressive in my politics. Right. Um, And I didn't really understand certain things that really are key. So one thing that I did not understand that really helped me ground myself in this world was um, how literal people are, a lot of evangelical people are, in their beliefs about heaven and hell, right? So if you believe that because your child is queer, they're going to hell and they're going to burn for all eternity, if you believe that, then it makes sense that you're going to do everything you can to keep your kid from being like that, right? And so then all the things that parents do that are so harmful to their children, I began to understand that they're done out of love, that they're done out of genuine concern and fear for their children's soul, not their lives, but their souls, right? Those are the highest stakes you can imagine, right? So understanding that gave me much greater compassion for where these parents were coming from, right? 
there was that. Then the other thing was I was talking to or interviewing, I don't remember if it was a conversation off the re- off the record or on camera, but I was talking to someone who's LGBTQ and they said, you know, it took me years to come to terms with my sexuality. Why would I expect my mom to come to terms with it overnight? It's grace. It's grace. We have to extend ourselves into the Exactly. And so then I was able to extend grace. And I think that created a safe space for these moms to tell their truths and to be vulnerable and to talk about the mistakes that they made because they could feel that I wasn't judging them and I was just listening and that I was open to receive and to learn and to grow with them, you know? And so um, I think those things were critical in in my ability to tell a story that was... Um, transformative, right? Because you have to, like, there's a moment where Kimberly talks about how she, you know, spanked Kai, right? And put her in timeout and took toys away from her and punished her, right? And it, and that's a hard, hard thing for a parent to admit, right? But because, you know, she could see that I was just listening, you know? And then <laughs> I'm very empathetic. And so if they start crying, I start crying, <laughs> So we're there. We're both just, you know, bawling our eyes out. But I think what it does for the person that I'm interviewing is that it lets them know that I'm with you. Right. I'm with you. I'm on this journey with you. I'm deeply listening and I'm deeply empathetic and compassionate and I'm not judging you. And so then that opens up a space for them to be vulnerable. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, that really uh, brings me to my next question here. Um, it's sort of a two-part question, um, but but first, I mean, you have, there's like, the, what, three or four stories that are sort of happening simultaneously with, within the movie, um, following different mama bears around. I mean, what what exactly was your experience working with the families? It sounds like, obviously, you were able to create a safe space, but what was the process like? Uh, hey, I read your article about you in Huffington Post. I gave you a ring. I want to make a documentary about you. Like, what was that process like, and how did you go about, like, really trying to, to kind of gain that that trust so they knew they could, could um, like, allow you in their homes to sort of document their experiences? Well, the first thing is that I, I didn't reach out to them directly. I reached out to Liz Dyer, who runs one of the Mama Bear groups. So there's a number of Mama Bear groups, and she runs Serendipity Doodah for Moms, right? So I reached out to her first and sa- and proposed the idea to her and said, you know, I want to make a documentary, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to talk to these women. I think they're heroic. And she said, send me an email about who you are and what you want to do and why you want to do it, and I'll send it to the moms, and we'll see if anybody's interested, Right. So I did that and I got 25 emails in response. From that, I knew two things. I knew that there was a movie to be made, right? I'm making a movie. And two, I knew that these moms wanted their stories told, that they understood the importance of sharing your story and that they were willing to be vulnerable, right? Because the, because they're making the first step, right? I put I extend the olive branch, but they have to pick it up. And once they pick it up, then I know that they're interested and they are open and they and they want to do this, right? So then it becomes a matter of, well, which story is going to be the one? And actually what happened was that when I reached out to Liz, Sarah Cunningham was, I think she was already on the road of her first free mom hugs tour and she was headed to New York and I was living in New York. So Liz was like, um, so let me connect you to Sarah and see if you guys can't film with her when she gets there. And that's what happened. And Sarah, being the wonderful, open-hearted spirit that she is, was like, sure, 
<laughs> I really don't think she had any idea what she was getting herself into. So that's how we got Sarah. And then um, Kimberly and Kai. So let me go back and just say there are four stories. There's Kimberly's story, Sarah's story, Tammy's story, and the story of the mama bears. So there are four storylines running through the film. So Kimberly, um, also, I reached out to her through Liz Dyer. Um, Liz connected. Liz made an, an email introduction, right? So what that does already is legitimize me, right? because I'm coming through someone that these women trust, right? And once Liz makes that introduction, then we start the conversation. So what do you want to make the movie about? Blah, 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 blah. And I always pre-interview everyone before I film with them for a number of reasons. I'm looking to see who this person is, how they talk, are they articulate? Are they forthcoming? Are they um, funny? You know, like you need people who are charismatic, to tell to be the, at the center of your movie, right? You need people who are articulate and can tell their story, right? Because somebody may have a great story, but not be really good at telling you what it is. And that makes your life a lot harder. Um, and then I'm also listening for what is this journey that this person has been on? Where are they now and where are they going and where do they want to go? And then I'm also giving them a chance to get to know me, right? To, to talk to me, to ask me questions, to see what I'm like and how I talk. And, you know, so we're feeling each other out and that in those initial phone calls. Right. And telling me, telling them, listen, call me anytime if you have any questions, blah, blah, blah. And then I also talk them through what is this process going to be like? And I tell them, you know, when this film comes out, it could change your life. And they're like, OK, because <laughs> it's not real in that moment, you know. But I remind them as we go along the journey that, you know, when this film comes out, it's going to be something else. <laughs> um, but so it was it was a beautiful experience to be welcomed into their homes, into their lives, um, to have them share their stories, to have them share their pride and their pain and their laughter and their sadness with me. You know, um, I consider it the highest honor that I could have is for somebody to trust me to tell their story, right? It's it's a it's a huge responsibility, right? You want to get it right. You really want to get it right. So along the way, I'm checking in with them. You know, is this is it okay if we talk about this in the movie? Is this okay? Is this taboo? Is this off limits? What's off limits? What don't you want to talk about, right? And that, and it comes up as we're moving along. Every time, because I'm, I'm filming with them over the course of four years, right? And things are changing and, and, you know, like Kimberly never wanted us to show the exterior of her house until she'd left that house. Right. Because there's a, there are very real dangers that she faces having a transgender gender child in Texas. Right. So we never showed the exterior of her house while she was living in that house. When you see her house, like when you see where she lives, she's gone. Right. Um, so there, so there's a lot of parameters that you have to respect with boundaries that people set that you have to respect, you know, and, um, and then they trust you more because you do. Well, you referenced, uh, uh Sarah Cunningham, uh, Oklahoma's own Sarah Cunningham. I have a, uh, a long history with her, um, just as a friend and as a, uh, also a, someone I acted with on screen before, um, in a film. I'm just wondering, because uh, she's been a huge pillar uh, for the LGBT community and also a huge voice to the in conservative circles for just trying to be 
being a safe person to talk to or to engage with to try and get more information about what free mom hugs is and and how it how it's helping um, the community at large and I'm just wondering in your own words just because I'm just a huge fan of hers and a friend of hers just on, in your account like uh, just describing you know uh, what she was like as a person and um, and also what it was like working with her it was a joy to work with Sarah it's always a joy to connect with Sarah she was actually just here in Atlanta on the fifth annual free mom hugs tour. Yeah. The fifth annual free mom hugs tour. So we had dinner. She came to my house and we hung out and it was lovely. Um, and she is, um, she's a friend of mine now, you know, I've known her for five years now. She was the first person that we shot with for the film. And, um, it's been amazing to watch her unfold because, you know, that first tour, um, I, I think she still was figuring things out. You know, I think she was still, um, she she knew she had not incorporated free mom hugs. It was not an organization yet. It was just an idea that kind of came from her carrying the banner in pride parades, and then you know Trump getting elected and thinking, okay, I'm going to take that banner across the country. Right at first, I think she said she was going to walk it, and her, her husband Rex was like, "No, you're not." <laughs> no. No. Let's be realistic. You know, in your dreams, you're going to walk to. She was going to walk to D.C. with her banner. I'm like, okay, Sarah, whatever. but um she's funny and fun and smart and so compassionate and so loving and so you know it's been a joy working with her and parker and rex and their whole family you know it's been um like i said it's an honor um and i just love her just love her how can you not love sarah cunningham you know i know And the work that she does, I love the work that she does as well. You know, I mean, they make a huge difference in people's lives, these mama bears. And I didn't realize until the, you know, knowing of the organization, but not knowing sort of the reach, you know, 50 chapters, one per state. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, what a huge accomplishment in like, would you say five, six years? I mean, um, just um, tremendous work that she's doing um, and, and making a lot of progress on. What's interesting is that, you know, uh, so when we started, like I said, there were 2,000 moms in the group. Now there are over 34,000 moms in just one of those groups, right? And uh, that happened um, for a number of reasons. Sarah went viral twice, as you probably know, once for um, offering to be a stand-in mom and once for free mom hugs, just the establishing free mom hugs. So she went viral twice and that elevated free mom hugs so that people knew about the organization. And once they learn about free mom hugs, they learn about the mama bears, right? That movie boy, it was boy erased came out um, with Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe. And that film is actually about a mama bear. So when that film came out, the mom who was Nicole's role is based on started talking about being a mama bear. And then there were a couple of podcasts that had Liz and Sarah and some other mama bears on them. I think Kimberly was even on one of them. Um, and that made the organ lifted the profile of the mama bear movement. Right. And then the short film, I did a short film with Kimberly and Kai that um, lives on um, a YouTube. Um, it was teen Vogue. I did it. Actually, I was commissioned to do it by, by the ACLU. And actually that's how Kimberly and Kai wound up in my film is because initially I was not going to include them, even though they were the catalyst, because I thought, okay, well, they've had a lot of exposure, right? They've been on Vice and they've been in all this news. They've been on the evening news and the morning news. And I need another story, a fresh story, right? 
But then um, the ACLU put out a call for a web series about transgender rights. And I knew that Kimberly was fighting like hell for Kai to be able to use the girls' bathroom in Texas, in Paraland, Texas. And so I pitched it and they commissioned it. And then they gave me the footage that we shot. So it's like, well, yeah, free footage oh, yeah. there in the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> right? I'd be a fool not to take advantage of that. Um, but then also their story is just incredible, you know? Um, so that so that so that film came out in 2018, and it won two Webbies and an Emmy. Yeah, so there you and, go. And so there you go. Like that also elevated the profile of the Mama Bears. And so between those things and the work they do themselves, it just exploded. It just kept exploding and exploding and exploding. And now it's just a national and a, and an international movement because there. I think Sarah has a chapter in Australia and. You know, they're they're expanding. And before you know it, they're going to take over the world. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are uh, many stories uh, in the film um, that are heartbreaking, uh, you know, just to to, to be transparent. Um, I'm thinking specifically there's uh, a little bit of a story that Ryan that you touch on um, and also going all the way back to sort of the impact the the murder of Matthew Shepard had on, you know, really an entire generation. But one thing I noticed, though, is you do a great job at framing these tragedies through a lens of hope. So how do you go about balancing these sort of two competing tones? Is this something that you do in the writing process and the editing process? What's your approach? My amazing editor, Kelly Creedon, and my other amazing editor, Hazard Salem, they helped do that because it's a balancing act, you know? I mean, let's just talk about the fact that, like you said, there are four storylines, right? Interweaving those storylines in and of itself, it takes a master to do that so that it's seamless, right? And so that so that you know where you are at all times. You know, when, when you go to Kimberly and Kyle, you know you're in Texas, right? Um, when you see Sarah, you know you're in Oklahoma. But there, there are visual cues to remind you, right? You see a flag. You see the Texas flag. And then you see Kimberly's backyard and a wind chime in her backyard. And you know, oh, we're back in Kimberly's world, right? Or you see these... Um, an aerial shot, a drone shot of these houses that all look the same. Oh, we're in Rancho Cucamonga, right? So there are things that ground you in the physical reality of where these people are. That's one thing. But just the process of weaving, interweaving all these disparate elements and specifically the tragedy. So I'll tell you, at one point we had a version of the film where we started with Linda Robertson, Robertson and Ryan, her son, Ryan, who passed away. That was way too heavy, (laughs) right? But we tried it, right? So you just keep trying things. You just keep moving things around. You put it here and see how it lands. Doesn't work there. You put it here and you see how it lands. Doesn't work. It works a little better there. Maybe if we move this and move this and tweak this. It's it's a, a long process to figure out how these stories can connect. So we put, we edited each mom's story by itself, so that we could see that each story had a beginning, a middle, an end, an arc, so that we could see the repetition, if there was any repetition between the moms, because a lot of the stories are very similar, right? Um, And so we didn't want them to be saying the same things in the same way, or even in a different way. We wanted each one to have her own unique voice and journey, right? Um, And then there's Tammy, who's not a mom, right? Who's an example of what this type of conservative Christian upbringing can do to an LGBTQ person, right? Um, and what's what's interesting is that I was looking for a Black mom from the beginning when I first started making the film, right? It was really hard to find one in these groups, 
right? And that's something that I really want to talk about, which is the lack of representation for black and brown moms, right? I'm putting out, I'm, I'm putting out a call. You can talk about a call to action. I'm calling on parents of color to step up and protect their kids. Because if you haven't seen what's happening, they're being attacked all across the country. So what does it look like to have 35,000 moms and less than 10% of them are black and brown? It's not a good look, right? And it, and we need these moms. We need them to step up. Um, in my experience, um, African-American moms tend to support their LGBTQ kids, but they do so privately, right? Now's the time to step out in public. We need you. So if there are any black and brown moms listening with queer kids, we need you. We need you to join this movement and protect your kids publicly because we can't hide in the shadows anymore. They're coming for us. And if you don't understand that once they come for the LGBTQ community, they'll be coming for you too, you should. History has shown us what, this, what happens when communities are marginalized and attacked. It starts with one group and then it spreads. So not to be fear mongering, but these are just the facts. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a a great call to action for our our listeners and uh, attendees of the festival this year. What would you say to to viewers of Mama Bears who maybe come from homes that are a a little less tolerant or a little less loving? How do you think uh, the documentary can can speak to them? Well, I think one thing is that um, it helps them understand that there are parents out there like their parents who will accept them and, and love them. And that's vitally important for especially young kids to know who are struggling. Right. Um, also, I think that 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 piece that I said about understanding that your parents are on a journey, too, is really important. Right. Because um, young people tend to expect their parents to be perfect but they're not, they're just human, right? So the same journey that you're on, your parents are on, right? And just like you slowly come out, they have to slowly come out. It's not, they can't just change overnight. Transformation is not easy. Throwing away all of your beliefs and rebuilding from the ground up is a lot of work and it's scary and it's painful. And and it means that your grandparents were wrong about what they told you and your minister was off the bu- you know like off the mark and and so you have to reexamine everything and to expect your parents to do that like that is unrealistic and unfair. So I th- I'm hoping that it gives people compassion on both sides, right? That it gives parents more compassion for their and understanding for their children and vice versa. So that um, people can start to have a different kind of conversation amongst themselves, right? Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And the reason I I, I want to point that out that the, about extending grace and also understanding that it doesn't happen overnight is I just got married two weeks ago. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I had a similar situation with my sister, younger sister. I'm the oldest of 12. Um, kid, 12 kids. Um, so yes, um, I should also say not all about my mother. She likes me to mention that, you know, so she had me and then my dad had a whole bunch of other ones. But my, the sister that I grew up with in the household with my mom, she was, um, uh, she was not as tolerant of my lifestyle as I realized over the years. And it's, it surprised me because she was younger than me. And she was coming from a generation that I, I'm seeing as being more inclusive and being more involved. And there was a moment I wanted my niece to walk down the aisle, you know, as one of the flower girls. And she just outright told me no, and that she wasn't sure that the, my niece would even be present at the, at the wedding because she was not, she was not supportive of it. And that was so damaging to me because it came from someone that I lived in a household with 
my, my, whole, you know, my whole life, you know, so, and we had a moment, it was, this was about three or four months before the wedding, um, where, I mean, I was very, I'm very emotional. I think I reacted probably poorly, you know, cause it was reacting out of anger and, and anguish. But, um, in the end of it, um, we had a conversation, um, about maybe a month prior to the wedding, uh, where she said she wanted to talk to me and she had spent the last couple of months, uh, educating herself on the community and the challenges and listening to different podcasts and reading literature and reading self-help books, everything that she could get her hands on because she needed to discover it for herself. And so that was very moving for me. Um, and then she did that's attend. Love. And, she, and that's love. And she did attend the wedding and everything went as we needed it to be. Um, and it took me a minute to get over and understand, like, why don't you get it? Why don't you understand it? You should, I mean, you're, you're so far behind and, you know, you know, all these things. And so uh, it never occurred to me that maybe it was because I was not giving her the space and patience to, to learn herself. So. Yeah, it's a process. It's a process for everybody involved, right? And And here's the thing that I also came to understand is that even a lot of queer people don't want their children to be LGBTQ. Why? Because they know firsthand how hard it is in this society. And a parent's first directive is to protect their kid. So the minute the kid is like, I'm non-binary, I'm queer, I'm, I'm whatever, right? I'm gay, I'm a lesbian, whatever the kid is, that is not the quote unquote norm. The parent's radar or protective mechanism kicks in immediately. No, 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 no. Because now I can't keep you safe, right? Now you're at greater risk for all kinds of things, right? And so the, the the parents' radar and alarm system goes off. The bells start ringing like, no, no, I gotta protect you. How can I, what can I do, right? And so you have to understand that as a parent, that's what you're supposed to do. And here you run up against a situation where you can't protect your kid, right? So it's it's terrifying. I You know, like that's another thing that I got from making the film is how scary it is to be the parent of an LGBTQ kid or adult or older person, right? you know, like it's, it puts you at risk. Lauren, thanks so much uh, for sharing a little bit about your, your experience there. Um, yes. Thank you. Darisha, uh, one last question for me before we start to wrap up, um, like what would experience do you hope the, the viewers uh, at dead center take away from the viewing of mama bears? I really hope that people um, are moved to action. That's what I hope. I hope that um, people who are allies already step up their game. And I hope that people who aren't allies do what your sister did, Laurent, which is educate themselves. And I just hope that the film does what I said at the beginning, which is to spread more love. And I just have one final question for myself, and that is, what is probably your favorite um, memory from the shoot? And um and how can viewers get more involved in these causes and organizations that the film highlights? Oof, there are so many great moments um, from filming this film. I, I, it's really hard to pick one. I've thought about it after you know you guys sent me the questions, and I've been thinking about it, and I and I just I I've enjoyed this journey so much um, with these people, and I love these people so much that. Um, I think for me now, the best moment was when we were all together at South by Southwest when the film was over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> celebrating, you know what I mean? Yeah, celebrating and that, that relief too, just like, yeah. Yeah, 
and they like the movie. They love the movie. They're going out with the movie. They're speaking up, you know, like Tammy's traveling with the movie. Parker's traveling with the movie. Sarah's traveling with the movie. It's, I can't ask for a better honor. So to have them all show up on the red carpet at South by Southwest when we had our premiere, that was the moment for me where we were just like, you know, badasses on the red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of people getting involved, um, so there's the realmamabears.org where people can go get more information. There's a whole list of resources on their website. Um, they can go to our website, which is mamabearsdoc.doc, D-O-C as in documentary.com, where we also have some resources and are, are linking to other organizations. Um, then there's a whole host of, of organizations that people can join, like PFLA. If they don't want to join the Mama Bears, right? If they don't want to join Free Mom Hugs, they can join PFLAG. They can they can form their own gay straight alliances. They can just get educated, get out there, do something, right? There's so many things that people can do. They could just hand out hugs like Sarah does, right? They could just go to church and start conversations. There might be hard conversations, but they could have those conversations, even if it's not with the whole congregation, just with one person, right? Make a difference. Even if it's with just one person, you can make a difference. And most of all, they can love their kids and love other people's kids as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. Get involved and share the love. I love that. Great way to, to get a, put a cap on it. Uh, well, Darisha, uh, is there anything else at all that you would like to add about Mama Bears for our listeners before we wrap up today's convo? Just that, you know, it may seem like these women are like um, bigger, larger than life. They're not. They're just normal people. And they did this. And so you could do it too. Well said. Uh, Laurent, I'll give you the final word here. Is there anything else you would like to add about Mama Bears as part of this year's Pride programming at Dead Center? I just want to strongly encourage people to go out and see it, um, to see the film. Um, this, as we've, as we've outlined here very eloquently in this, in this podcast, that this is a, a certain demographic that you just don't see very often. And I think it will be very transformative for a lot of people because sometimes you just got to see it to believe it. And I think that it, that's the encouragement that some people will need. This this little piece of uh, this little film could change somebody's mind about something, and and so yes, I just encourage people to go out and see it um, at the festival. Awesome! And uh, for those of you who do want to see it at the festival, Mama Bears will be featured at as Dead Center's opening night film on Thursday, June 9th at six p.m. Central Standard Time, and that's going to be at Harkins Bricktown. Um, and there'll actually be an encore screening scheduled for Saturday, June 11th at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time at the Oklahoma Museum of Art. Um, and then for pass holders, it'll also be available the week of June 13th through June 20th on the Dead Center Virtual Film Festival. Um, and uh, so, Darisha, um, is there anywhere listeners can follow the, the film online or social media if they want to keep up with uh, other festivals or, or ways to watch? Yeah, there are two ways. We are on all social media as Mama Bears Doc, D-O-C. And we have a website, as I mentioned, mamabearsdoc.com, and we keep our screenings updated. You know, we can't announce the screenings until the festivals announce it, but as soon as they announce them, we put them up on our website. So there's a screening tab. So they can just click that and see our screenings and... Yeah. And eventually that website is going to become, um, is going to host conversations for people. We're going to put up videos that didn't make it into the film and, and we're going to do a whole impact campaign where we take the film out to churches and the LGBTQ community. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. 
Listeners, there you have it. Uh, Darisha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me and for this wonderful conversation. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was a great pleasure. And I'm just really excited to hear uh, more insights on on the film. Congratulations on, on the incredibly emotionally powerful film. Thank you so much. And Laurent, thanks so much for tag teaming the interview today. Uh, and congrats Absolutely. on your role as the pride programmer at the this year's Dead Center in an official capacity. Absolutely. And your wedding. Congratulations. Wedding. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a good year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, listeners, for all other things Dead Center, you can head over to deadcenterfilm.org. Consider supporting the festival by purchasing a badge or buying an individual ticket uh, for the more than 140 films playing at this year's festival. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you again next time. Mm-hmm.